Good history that accurately reflects the feelings, the worries, the dangers of the times, and the language. When he refers to Native Americans as redskins or savages, the reader understands that he finds these terms as objectionable as we do. He is simply recording what his characters would really have said. Only a skillful writer can tell a story that is true to its times and wind up with a truth that speaks to all times. Jean Fritz Chapter 1 I made sure some Yankee soldier had pulled this spring up out of the ground and hauled it off, Chris Brabson panted, pushing through the calico bushes. He had run most of the way from the cabin, so as not to keep Silas Aggie waiting, and he thought for a while he had missed the turn-off, familiar as he was with it. But there the spring was, flowing cool and clear from the side of Walden Ridge. He leaned his rifle against a tree and dropped to his stomach to drink. The water was good, cold and sweet, freestone water like most of the mountain springs in these parts. Chris sat up and wiped his mouth. Silas was bound to be here shortly. It wasn't like him ever to be late especially when they were going squirrel hunting. Chris could wait. It was pleasant to sit in the sun with nothing to do, no beans to shuck, no wood spoon to whittle, no corn shuck bridle to braid. The water gurgled past him over the rocks, slid from sight with only a faint murmur. It was soothing to hear, like a soft rain falling on oak shingles, and right where it disappeared, a little purple sweet gum leaned out over the cliff's edge. Sweet gums and black gums and sour woods made the woods bright now, when oaks and hickories had just begun to look dull and faded. He grinned, gazing about. Late September, with the trees turning and the nuts falling, and the weather holding out good, was the best weather in the world for hunting. Oh, nobody liked to hunt in the fall of the year like Chris Brabson. He looked back up the slope, hoping to see Silas coming, but all he saw were some dark green pines and gray rocks standing out so plain against the clear blue of the sky it made him catch his breath. I wouldn't live nowhere else on God's green earth but here, he said aloud. Not in Chattanooga, where folks live all scrunched up close together in them fine houses. Nor in Carolina, where the ocean is. Not even in China across the sea. From the way the circuit rider talked about China, Chris reckoned nobody ever went hunting there. Nor saw the sarvisberry bloom in the spring. Nor went swimming in the summertime. Nor ever ate so much as one roast near. Oh, right here was the finest place in the world to live, he thought proudly. Nobody else had such sweet spring water or lived high on a mountain over a valley full of blue and purple shadows. Nowhere else in the world did the sky rise so far overhead, so deep and blue and cloudless. An acorn dropped into the spring and bobbed off. Chris threw a stick after it and watched them both disappear. Restlessly, he got up and climbed over the rocks to the mountain's edge, carrying his rifle in one hand. Below him lay Sequatchie Valley, 
a narrow trough full of wooded patches and square fields and wiggly creeks. Then he saw it. His face hardened. Almost without knowing it, he threw his rifle to his shoulder and aimed at the little trail of dust along the valley road. He could barely make out the tiny dots, but he knew what they were. I reckon I was wrong, he muttered, dropping his gun. Walden's Ridge used to be the finest place in creation. But now the Yankee devils had come here and changed all that. He knew as well as any living soul how mean the Federal soldiers were. He'd never forget that day, not so long as he lived. He remembered how he'd stood around on Anderson Road, waiting and waiting for Silas to come back from Chattanooga. He'd been so proud, he'd been so anxious, he could almost feel the feather softness of that shirt over his arms and shoulders, a real leather hunting shirt, made out of the smoothest and finest of deer skins. It had cost him a heap in time and trouble. Chris had shot the deer himself, three of them, so that he could use only the very choicest parts of the skins in the making of his long fringe shirt. And he'd done the skinning, too, though he wasn't the best in the world at it. He had worked slowly and carefully, easing the skin off the way Silas told him to, making sure that no bits of fat were left anywhere. Then scraping off the hair. That was a job to take the pertness plum out of a body. He'd spent many a back-breaking hour on it. There wasn't any easy way to do it, for every single smidgen of hair had to come off. He'd scraped and scraped till his fingers were numb and could no longer hold the knife. Then he and Silas had soaked the hides, rubbing them every day with brains and liver till they were soft and supple as mole velvet to the touch. Oh, they were beautiful then, and Chris couldn't wait for his shirt. He'd be the onlyest body in these parts with so fine a buckskin shirt that rain couldn't wet, that briars couldn't hang in, that wouldn't ever wear out hardly. Silas had cut the shirt out and made the fringes from the scraps. But I ain't no hand with a needle, he told Chris. I'll have to take it down to my sister in Chattanooga and let her piece it together, lessen you want your mammy to do it. Nah, answered Chris. I don't want Mammy, nor Pappy, nor Leah, nor none of them to know nothing about it till I come strutting in with the shirt on. Tell your sister I'd be mighty much obliged if she'd do it for me, Silas. So Silas had gone off with the cut-out shirt, and Chris had waited the longest kind of time for him. I'll be back in two days, Silas had promised, and Chris thought the hours would never pass. Two days went by, and the biggest part of the third. And then Silas had come limping down the road with his clothes dusty and a cut across his head and no hunting shirt. The Yanks took it, he told Chris. If not had a gun, they wouldn't never have got it. But I didn't have a chance. Four men on horseback they was, and they come along and took all my truck. My little dab of salt I traded for and four eggs my sister give me and the shirt. Chris, boy, I'll tell you the truth. I'd a heap rather they'd have took my right arm than that shirt. Chris didn't say a thing, but right then and there he'd made up his mind.
If he ever got a chance, he'd make some yank pay for this. If he never did another thing. Now he watched the dust move up the valley below. I wished I had me some kind of special long shooting rifle, he whispered. I could just stand right here and pick off them yanks by the dozen. He wondered what the soldiers were up to. But then he reckoned he knew. They were out raiding and looting the countryside, stealing anything they could lay hands on. Yankees ain't no better than Injuns, he told himself. They're meaner than Injuns, for a fact. Silas said there wasn't an ear of corn or a shoat pig left in the valley. The Union soldiers had stolen them all. For the life of him, Chris couldn't see how folks could favor the Yankees. But some did. Some right here on Walden's Ridge. Even Chris's own pappy sometimes spoke up for the feds. They're doing their duty the way they see it, he said. And they gotta eat. They could go home, Chris reckoned. There was food aplenty for them at home. They had no right to come here shoving folks around, taking their food and their hunting shirts. Chris cupped his hand to shade his eyes, watching the road. Well, anyhow, they ain't come around our cabin, and they'd better not, he added. They come up prowling around, and I just naturally aim to kill me a few. He reckoned an eleven-year-old boy could do that much anyway. Oh, it was terrible hard to be so young when your country needed you. A plague of locusts.